Let me just mention a couple of things before we begin looking in the Word together. One is, remember a while back we filled out little cards to mail into our Congress people about the international justice mission dealing with uh, the sex trade and slavery? Well, I, I don't have all the details, but I got this banner. Uh, we did it. The End Modern Slavery Initiative is going to be a law. Thanks for your help. So we did it. That's good meaning we and many, many other believers and even non-believers who believe that that is a terrible thing. So praise the Lord. Once in a while you do something, it actually pays off. Amen. <laughs> yeah, once in, a, once in a while. Okay. Wanted to mention Christmas is coming, as if you didn't know. Lots of advertising and hard pressure, right? Now the frenzy really begins, unless you're one of those really disciplined people who's all got their shopping all done and wrapped. And you need therapy if that's true. You need therapy. Okay. So, just a joke. It's like a, a clean desk is a sign of an unhealthy mind, you know. Don't look at mine. Anyway, we put these in the bulletin, so, and there's extras, so you can use them. So we want to invite you to invite friends, neighbors, family members. I promise it's not going to be a strong arm. Uh, you know, gospel preaching, it is going to be the truth, the gospel, but I'm not going to, like, pin people to the wall or anything like that. They'll feel welcome. We're going to give them a little gift to take with them and uh, hopefully make contact with them and uh, just, uh, it'll be a great time. So that's Christmas Eve, which this year is a Saturday night, which means Sunday morning is going to be streamlined. Just for those of you know, I'll be here. I'm going to preach. We're going to have uh, worship. And uh, most people would say, well, of course you would, but uh, not necessarily. I know that's a hard time for a lot of people. Depends on how it works out. So I just want you to know we'll be here. It'll be abridged. There'll be no coffee. I mean, you should be fed up by then anyway, right? So uh, we'll, we'll worship. We'll enjoy it. And there's no junior church that morning, just so you know. The kids will join us in here going to have a little thing for the kids so that they're not totally uh, you know, lost. We'll have fun. Everybody said amen. amen. I forced you. That's no good. I... <laughs> so anyway, I just wanted you to have a heads up on all of that, okay? That's what's coming. Now, if you would indulge me and turn in your Bibles, if you have one. If you don't have one, you can use the one in the chair and uh, follow along exactly with me on page 69 of your pew Bible, which is a chair Bible in our church. And um, that is Exodus, the 12th chapter. You're turning to one of the most famous Christmas texts in the Bible. And it really is. So if you would look with me and just follow along as I read it, uh, we will begin together. Exodus, the 12th chapter, starting in the 21st verse. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families and slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and to two doorposts. And none of you shall go outside the door of his house until morning. 
For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to smite you. And you shall observe this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. When you enter the land which the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall observe this rite. And when your children say to you, what does this rite mean to you? You shall say, it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes. And the people bowed low and worshipped. Amen? The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. It's only right for us, as my brother Ben prayed a minute ago, that we acknowledge you as Lord and not just acknowledge you, but invest some time and energy thinking about all that that means. Lord, we've been studying on the subject of worship and now we've entered into the Christmas season and it's a perfect subject for worship as we celebrate the coming of our Savior. But what was his coming but a fulfillment of the very passage we just read? That which happened in history, which was a very clear type of the greatest salvation that would ever occur. So today, Lord, we want to be your servants. We want to give you attention. I'm asking for your help today that just some reality. I have so many things in my heart. There's no way I'm going to be able to communicate them well. So I'm going to have to cut it down, and I'm going to ask you, God, to speak into our spirits. And where we're not aligned with what you have in mind, show us. And where we are, let us rejoice in that. So build us up in our most holy faith. Thank you for the gathering of your saints today. Thank you for those who are coming, listening and leaning in and wondering about who this Jesus is. Continue to strive with them. I know there's a group of people appointed to eternal life that we've been rubbing shoulders with. And I'm asking you to bring them home. In the name of Jesus, God, we ask today for your Holy Spirit to quicken your word. I rely upon you. We're helpless left to ourselves. We're helpless to get it listening left to ourselves. Holy Spirit, help us. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I called this the appointed time, and there's a reason that I did. Let me just repackage that passage. Some of you may have read or heard that maybe for the first time. It's the account that is the basis of what is Passover every year, especially in every Jewish household. People sit down and celebrate a Seder. And when they do that meal, it's a celebration of remembrance about the great Passover event. It's looking back in history to something remarkable. In fact, I don't know if you're aware of this, this was the biggest display of God's miraculous power the world had ever seen. Never happened like that before. There was a flood, but you could blame that on the weather. Just like canceling uh, parties tonight, you know, you blame it on the weather. But this, where there was a judgment on Israel and an entire congregation of people, a million and a half humans, escaped the bondage of slavery. And when they were pursued after miraculous signs and wonders in, in Egypt, 
God swallows up the entire enemy army in the Red Sea. That had never happened before, and you probably haven't seen anything like that either. It's pretty impressive. Major story, and by the way, major history. It's not made up. The nations all around knew about it. How do you think the Israelites conquered the land? Everybody was scared to death. And you would be too if you saw that. You know what they did? You know what this God that these Hebrews have did to Egypt? Yikes! It's exactly what went down. And those people were in bondage. You've got to get the context. 400 years the people of God were asking, when are you going to deliver us? 400 years. But brothers and sisters, at the appointed time, at the right time, I could probably preach a whole sermon right now and just skip the rest of my notes, right? Because how many times will we say, when, Lord, when, when, when? We've got a few prayer requests like that in our family. When, Lord, how long has this got to go on? Anybody know what I mean? God doesn't make any mistakes. Can you trust him? Have you learned to trust him? He's good and he's sovereign. You've got to settle that one. You're never going to be a happy Christian. It just explains a lot, doesn't it? Sorry. <laughs> I heard one chuckle. It's really true. It really is true. You have to come to rest in the goodness of God. He's for us. He's not against us. And sometimes we wonder and we scratch our heads. And I know there's tough times. Think of those people in bondage. These are the people who inherited the covenant of God from Abraham, their father. He had promised that through you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Yeah, we're, we're blessing all the families of the earth by working as slaves. And it goes on for generation after generation after generation. Darkness, suffering. And at the end, it gets even worse when Moses comes on the scene. You know, those religious leaders can really be problems. <laughs> Got in trouble with the unions. Made all kinds of difficulty, right? Anyway, they escape. And the passage that we read is the very night, that is spoken to the children of Israel, the very night that God is going to smite the Egyptians and they're going to escape the next morning. That's pretty exciting. And in that text, God says, down the road, your kids are going to say, what's this all about? Why are we eating bitter herbs and, you know, passing matzah around? Why are we doing this? I want you to think about that because we're going to come back to it, okay? So there's the context. Why I picked the uh, title at the appointed time. There's various verses that speak like this. Let me give you an example of one. Romans chapter 5. For while we were still helpless, what? At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Isn't that great? Two verses later is that great famous evangelistic verse, which, by the way, if you're sitting here wondering, what does it mean? What, what, is, what is all of this salvation stuff about? Here it is. God shows his love toward us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. The wages of sin is death. There has to be a sacrifice. He's provided the sacrifice. If you trust that sacrifice, he gives you the gift of eternal life. Is that good news? Amen. It is good news. At the appointed time, at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The New Jerusalem Bible says at the appointed time. It can be at the right time, just the right time, just in time. Think of how many ways we use that expression, in time. It'll all work out in time. It'll happen just in time. 
It's at the appointed time, in the perfect time, in his time, whatever. At the appointed time. Another in translation, we'll see the word in a few minutes, is at the right season. The right season of history, the right turn of events, this is what occurred. In fact, um, this season that we're entering into, we call it the Christmas season, but the early church didn't use that. They started with a phrase called epiphany. Anybody ever heard that? Epiphany, right? Which comes from the Greek word to appear, the appearing, which is comprehensive. It is more than just the little baby. It's all about God entering into the world, into the darkness of our world. Get it? They're 400 years in darkness between the end, the last prophets of the Old Testament and Jesus coming is how many years? Got it. They're called the 400 years of silence. I think that must have been a coincidence. No. All right. We all... Got the coffee going, right? Okay, so it was not a coincidence. At the end of 400 years, the silence is broken and the appearing of Jesus starts. Huh? Galatians 4.4. 4. 4. You want to read it? I don't know what... You, you, you caught me off guard. Amen. At the right time, he sent his son, born of a woman. That's even better than the verse I'm going to give you, but I like the one I'm going to give you. Here we go. (laughs) Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is now. The time is fulfilled. It's the right time. It's the appointed time. And the kingdom of God is right here at hand, right here, right now. Repent and believe the gospel. I'm going to work real hard to stay on task here. But boy, is that a mouthful. The time is fulfilled. Now is the appropriate time. The kingdom is right here. It's closer than your breath. Repent and believe the gospel. Well, I want to believe the gospel, and I want all the blessings, but I don't want to repent. Too bad. The gospel is that. Repent and believe the gospel. I've seen an awful lot of Christianity today without repentance. No wonder we're in such sad condition. It's a process of transformation. And believe me, being liberated from sin is a lot more fun than being in bondage. Oh, sorry, I get all wound up. But this description here is epiphany. Jesus comes on the scene. The time is fulfilled. It's that darkness that has finally been burst open with light. God's moving in to rescue. Just like Moses comes into the camp in the Old Testament, finally, is this it? We're going to get rescued finally? So Jesus comes into the world. We know with the baby's birth, it keeps kind of silent for 33 years, right? We don't hear much. When he finally comes on the scene, he comes into uh, Galilee preaching the gospel. It's epiphany. God has appeared. He's getting ready to rescue. In the church calendar, that whole season is involved. This last week had an interesting remembrance. Some of you know what it is. This was the newspaper section this last week. In fact, I'll just make it very universal for you. 
Anybody remember that? That's the USS Arizona going down. And uh, I actually got to be there when my uncle was a missionary in uh, Hawaii. I know that's a hard gig. I know it's very hard to suffer for Jesus in Hawaii, but uh, actually it was a hard gig. And uh, I got to visit that location. But this last week, they did a a huge 45-page insert in the paper remembering Pearl Harbor. It was the uh, December 7th, 1941. I can never forget it. My daughter got married on December 7th, and my aunt died the same morning. So that, that date is riveted in my skull. But I took time to read through this, having uncles that I've buried and my father that I buried that were all veterans of World War II, reading through the accounts of it all. When you read through this, you would find there's a lot of detail about every part of the event, what time the attack started, which places got bombed, how the planes got destroyed, how many ships got destroyed, how many survived, all of that. All that data that if you were to read that today, you probably would never question that that's historically accurate, would you? Did you know that The Bible accounts of the life of Jesus are historically accurate. They were written as stories to tell you history. And yet it's constantly challenged. Much better eyewitnesses even than we're reading about in the paper. 75-year anniversary of Pearl Harbor. A big, huge story. World historic event. So was the coming of Jesus. World historic, in fact, the central event of human history. If you're new at this, there's a little catchphrase that history is really his story, and it is. He's the one sovereignly guiding everything from creation till the consummation when Jesus comes back and time will be no more as we sing when the roll is called up yonder. It's his, I will too. It's his story. He's taking things to an appointed end. And it's been accurately communicated to us his redemptive history in the scripture. So if you're a note taker, I've given you some uh, notes in your bulletin and you can fill them in. Let's get to the main point, the main storyline. And um, I'm going to just show you something in a second. The main story. Back uh, at one of my churches, we, we used this Bill, you remember this. I have a guest from up north. He snuck in here today, Bill. One of my buds. Um, We did this together. It's the Bible. It's called, look at the title. Anybody see the title? The Story. It's called The Story. This is kind of Bible light, just to be honest. It's streamlined a little bit because there are what we would consider in our culture some tedious sections of Scripture. Maybe if you tried to read through Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you... You bailed on a few sections, maybe, huh? Hey, you want to get honest here? Okay. That's a mortal sin, by the way. I just No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so to help people with that, they put together this version called the story, which kind of streams, streamlines it. Where there's redundancy, it cuts that out. So I call it Bible light. But it was a great experiment in reading through the scripture together. We're going to do it using another one. If you sign up, and I want to encourage you to do that, I think it will be a fun adventure. And the other one gives descriptions as well of what is God doing? What's he setting up here in the world so that we understand where the Bible is taking us as we work through it? There's the main storyline here of this 
history that God has established. And here's the, the central point. The central point was what we just read about Jesus and this. The angel said to them, let's bring it down to Christmas, right? It's Christmas time. I can get away with it. I could have parked on Easter. That would work too. But it is Christmas. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all the... Yeah. It's not limited to the Jewish people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's the good news. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. The old, can I just unpack the gospel a little bit? The Old Testament picture is the children of Israel. They're the chosen ones of God, but they are being oppressed. They're in bondage. They are Slave laborers working for Pharaoh, right? There's a picture here. They don't have freedom. They don't have free access to get out, do what they want, take care of their own affairs. And then as things get intense, they become oppressed, mandatory executions of male children, things like that. It's an ugly situation. God sends judgment into Egypt, He knows that all human beings deserve judgment. Do you understand that? He's going to send some kind of, I don't know, we don't know exactly who the destroyer is, a demonic spirit. We don't know. But he commissions him, because let's face it, the enemy and sin love bloodlust. They want to kill, right? The wages of sin is death. The enemy, Jesus said, that that Satan comes, the, the liar comes to kill and destroy He delights in causing destruction in human affairs and in human lives and bringing death. Anyway, so that's a picture right there of the children of Israel living in bondage. The destroyer is going to come. uh, God says, if you do one thing, I will save you from the destroyer and then I will liberate you from bondage. The way you're going to be marked as a follower of me, a believer in what I say, is you're going to take an animal, this lamb, is not by accident. You're going to shed the blood. You're going to take the blood. You're going to splatter it on the doorpost. And I don't think that's an accident either, right? On the lintel, the two sidebars. It's pretty... Anybody make those connections there? Uh, So there's the mark of blood over the door. The destroying angel comes. Anyone who doesn't believe what God says doesn't bother putting blood on the doors. They wake up to a dead person in their home. Firstborn. Male firstborn man or animal, profound. By morning, all Egypt is in distress, and the children of Israel walk out free. Great visual. The New Testament takes us with that picture in mind and talks about the same idea. We deserve to be judged. We're under judgment, so to speak, but if there's blood on the doorposts of your heart... The destroyer will go over that house and not destroy you. You inherit life. But not only that, you also get liberated out of the bondage of sin. In other words, sin is dominating you. Jesus is the one who said, anyone who sins is a servant of sin. You don't even get it. You're enslaved. What, me? I don't have chains on me. Yeah, but I look at your life and I see how you're stuck with your language or your behavior or your 
unfaithfulness or whatever it might happen to be, you're in bondage. You're serving sin. Jesus said, I'm opening the door. Not only am I preventing you from being judged by having the destroying angel pass over you, you'll be delivered from judgment, but I'm also releasing you into freedom. Gee, seems like what happened in the Old Testament means something. That's why I said, turn with me to the great Christmas text in the Old Testament because it is good news of salvation, which was fulfilled in the person of Jesus who died on the cross to make that lamb illustration come to reality. Because that's what it is. The fulfillment of what God was promising all the way back then in the Old Testament. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. At the right time, Christ came into the world. The epiphany occurred so that light would enter into our life. Well, the word that is used is time, kairos. That's the word. In fact, I think there's even a a singing group that goes around churches in our area. Isn't it called kairos from what I thought I saw that anyway? Whenever I get on a bunny trail, I get in trouble. So forget I said that. But kairos, meaning time, which can be translated as the right proportion, the fitness of time, the right time, the exact point in time, the proper point in time, a season of action, the exact or critical or opportune time. At a certain time in history, Jesus entered into the world. We don't really know that it's December 25th. Probably not. But it's interesting We do know dates, just like I know December 7th, 1941. We also know that uh, the original Exodus was back around 1440-something B.C., that Jesus came on the scene as best as we know, birth-wise, around 4 B.C. Can't always trust those calendar things, but it was actually four years before, somewhere in there. We actually know because history is tied up in a lot of that. God does his business in the midst of time. Let me read something to you, if I could, about that book by uh, James White on Christian worship. And, of course, he's encouraging us, and I'm trying to encourage us today, that we don't let the Christmas season go blasting past us without a little bit of time given to Jesus. Doesn't it crack you up that the hustle and the bustle and all of that junk that's going on, ram, 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 presence and everything else. And I think we think about him last. And it's his birthday, supposedly. That's pretty funny. You ever see Father of the Bride? Anybody remember that? He doesn't even get to eat any of the meal. You know, his daughter gets married and leaves and he never even gives, gets to dance with her, kiss her, anything. And it's like, that's how Jesus must feel sometime when Christmas comes and goes. Anyway, enough of that. The language of time. Just let me read this paragraph. The centrality of time in Christian worship tells us a great deal about Christianity itself and about Christian worship. It tells us that Christianity is a religion that takes time seriously. History is where God is made known. You know, it's not some cosmic meditational experience. I was meditating and I saw this being and this this light came down. It happened in history. It happened. It's accounted for. Non-Christians account for it. Non-Christian historians testify to it. 
Did you know that? I, I just want to... Well, sometimes people don't. What, they, what people are taught today is a lot of... Often, too, much, too, too many times it's trite. History is where God is made known. Without time, there is no knowledge of the Christian God, for it is through actual events happening in historical time that this God is revealed. God chooses to make the divine nature and the will known by events that take place within the same calendar that measures the daily lives of ordinary women and men. God's self-disclosure takes place within the same course of time as political events in the days of Herod the king. We know when that was. I mean, non-Christians can find out when, when that was. So it's actual reality actual reality. God builds in time. He does his salvific work in time. Let me just back that up with a couple of verses. Now, it came about in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Everybody recognizes this, right? All the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. That can be, that can be assessed. That can be discovered historically. Same thing here. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod the king. And we love this, don't we? Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and we've come to worship him. And that's the right response, to come to worship him. You do know that every time you see a, a nativity set, which is very sweet and cuddly, uh, they have the uh, We Three Kings of Orient. There weren't three kings, and they weren't at the manger. You do know that, right? Just wanted to throw that out. They followed the star. They got there about a year and a half after Jesus was born, which is why the text says they entered the house and opened their gifts and worshipped him. Just want to throw that out. I'm not saying go bust up your little nativities at home, because they're really nice. I like them, too. What's your question, sir? Yeah, it was probably a whole entourage, but it became a traditional thing of three, probably because three gifts are mentioned. Myrrh, frankincense, and gold, right? That's probably why. But anyway, yeah, they were actually astrologers. They were occult practitioners, religious leaders, who saw something in the heavens that got their attention. That's pretty cool stuff. That's pretty cool stuff. And you remember, that was the land where Daniel, the great prophet lived and truth about the scripture had been communicated so they were looking for this profound invasion of divinity into the history of man don't know how perfect they understood it but i think they had a clearer picture by the time they left jerusalem because they got all the travelogues and everything by then okay you guys don't get out much do you anyway so Yeah, it's a lot of good stuff on that. Yeah, where that actually came from. Historical record in time and space. The big main story. But I want to talk about what comes after the big main story, if I could. I want to talk about the subplot. When we got this, you know, there's the big story. Some of the items I already mentioned. But if you did get the paper, I mean, we're old-fashioned. We actually read newspapers, my wife and I but we're old, you know, so you can forgive us. But there were numerous subplots in here. How it affected America, in other words, the home front, 
how the nation was galvanized, certain things that happened, how women got into the labor force, all of that kind of stuff. It's, there's little accounts, these subplots of people's stories. And then in the back, for those of you who are Star Trek fans, know that George Takai's family, right, Japanese Americans were entoured. There's a whole two or three pages in the back of that sad chapter. All these subplots, because the subplot, there's the big story, but then there's the subplot where you and I find ourselves in time and space, in the perfect time. Yes, you can look at the country and the world in which we live and say, oh, this is a great time to be alive, or boy, is this rotten. Or you might say both, like I have. (laughs) Boy, is this bad. Or... If God has me here at the appointed time, then there's something to be done for his glory. Let me just encourage you first because I've been speaking about worship. And this is my last message on worship. I'm never preaching on worship again. Today. Today. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Until the appointed time. Thank you. You need to come see me this week. She is coming to see me this week. That's just that's an aside. Whoops. Uh-oh. No, nobody's in trouble. Nobody's in trouble. Let me, I just lost my... Everybody behave. Everybody behave. The language of time. I want to read something to you. Shaping of Christian time. Just, just ponder this for a minute. If you don't take anything else away, let me encourage you to take this. The way we use our time is a good indication of what we consider of prime importance in life. We can always be counted on to find time for those things we consider most important, though we may not always be willing to admit to others or even to ourselves that our real priorities, what they may be. Whether it be making money, political action, family activities, we find the time for putting first those things that matter most for us. Time talks. When we give it to others, We are really giving ourselves. Wow. When we give it to others, we are really giving ourselves. Not only does our use of time show what is important to us, but it also indicates who or what is most significant to our lives. Time, then, is a dead giveaway of our priorities. It reveals what we value most by how we allocate this limited resource. It's worth more than money, isn't it? The same is true of the church. He's encouraging, you know, a a Christian year with all the celebrations, and I'll talk about that in a minute, but that's less important than what I'm speaking into is, you know, I always say, let me have your bank book and I'll see what really matters to you. If I could have your date book, then I'll see what really matters to you. Not that you always put everything in your date book, but God knows at this season... Are you going to put some time aside to meditate on the remarkable invasion of God into human history? For you. So I don't know what your personal practice is of, you know, spiritual worship at home, your, your private devotions, even the word devotions I hate to use because it's become such a stale, dead, you know, I did my devotions today, you know. And it's like, don't even do that. If you're bored, imagine how God feels. And you're supposed to be meeting with him. You know, he's like, can I leave yet? But maybe he's got something more exciting 
exciting than that, wouldn't you? Maybe guess? I think so. So I'm not done preaching yet. I've got some more to say, okay? So there's many sub-stories, and we get involved in the sub-stories. I, I picked some of the songs this morning. Um, Mike, Mike is very cooperative with me. And um, we did, Oh, Come All Ye Faithful. And there's a number of songs that I really like. I love the one, Sages Leave Your Contemplations. Oh, that's an old favorite for me because I had a PhD that that was his favorite verse. And we used to sing that. Sages leave your contemplations. Greater visions beam afar. Seek the great desire of nations. You have seen his natal star. Think about who this is. And we did a little of that in prayer today. It was good. Sing choirs of angels. Sing ye citizens, bright hosts of heaven above. Glory to God. Jesus, to thee be all glory given. This is O come all ye faithful, by the way. Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Who is he? Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. There's never been anything like this. God invaded human history. Surely that has got to be interesting. There's a subplot, and we're part of it. Have we entered in? Have we trusted Christ? Is he alive and real to me? Am I letting him mold me? You know, we want to become better. We want to grow. We want to be disciples. It's not going to happen unless you invest some time in it. You know, I've got to. More than just hearing this bag of wind, you know. And it will come about when your children say, what does this right mean to you? You catch that? What does this right mean to you? That you shall say, it's a Passover sacrifice to the Lord. When you see it all capitals like that, you know that's the formal name, right? That's Yahweh, which the Jews would not pronounce. Who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians, but he spared our homes. Did you catch the story when we read it at the beginning of the service that all the people heard that from Moses? Remember, they weren't gone yet. It hadn't happened yet. When they heard that, they said, God's going to do that tonight. They all bowed down and worshipped. That must have been an exciting night. I don't think people slept. Probably didn't go to sleep watching Johnny Carson. And he was on back then, too. (laughs) (laughs) the way God is saying your kids and their kids and then their kids and then their kids and then their kids kids are going to ask, why are we doing this? Can you imagine? You know, I've been to seders. I used to date young ladies that were in Jewish households and they would always invite the nice goy to come to dinner and have a seder. And it can be like, yeah, we know, right? Just like, Yeah, we're going to church again today. All you kids, that's how you feel when you come. I get it. I get it. What does this right mean? I'm going to tell you what it means. That's the night that God stretched out his mighty hand and did a miraculous work that no one on the planet had ever seen before and rescued us 
our extended family, our people, rescued us. And by the way, it wasn't just those old people who are dead now. It's you and me. That's the command. And you find that in the Old Testament. These commands, these covenants that God made, uh, um, Joshua says it, Moses says it, after the 40 years in the wilderness, when God made that covenant with us at Sinai, it wasn't just to them, it's to us now. We're part of that covenant community, right? As believers in Christ, we're part of that covenant community. This was for us as well as for them in history. We're part of the subplot. It's still going on. Every year we celebrate Passover, the death of Christ, the resurrection. That's the Easter season. We go through that Paschal season. We go through the Christmas Epiphany season. We remember that Jesus invaded human history and rescued us. That's for us as well as the people back 2,000 years ago. It's for us. Blessed are those who have heard and believed because of your word never saw. That's what Jesus said to his disciples, right? You've seen and you believe. Blessed are those who will never see but still believe. That's people sitting in the room right here. You all with me? It's us. We're part of the subplot. It keeps happening. And those stories need to be told again and again and again. And you should. Unabashedly. Aren't you glad, you know, I was, I was looking at um, the handbook of the Christian year by the same author, Mr. White, and some colleagues. Advent is a season of great tension. It is primarily concerned with eschatology, not as our contemporary American commercial sense would have it with preparing for Christmas cheer. Rather, remember the 400 years of darkness? It was that kind of thinking, like, those of you who may be from more traditional churches where you celebrate Lent and you go through that dark time waiting, when is the rescue going to happen? And then you go through the week of Passion Week where Jesus is killed and you're waiting for the resurrection. There's kind of a gloom that you, you kind of brood on that. That's part of the religious uh, the spiritual exercise is to brood on that until life breaks forth. That kind of a thing. The same thing is true for the epiphany season. That's what he's trying to say. The power of the incarnation shown in the beginning of Jesus' ministry. That's the whole point. Historically, the original special day in this whole cycle was epiphany, the day of theophany. Anybody know what a theophany is? An appearance of theos, God. Or the manifestations of God's light and power in Christ. Showing up, Christ as light, his advent into the world, his baptism in the Jordan, the first miracle of turning water into wine. He comes on the scene and says, now is the appointed time. Repent and believe the gospel. But here's what I want you to be aware of. This is kind of fun. In some of those churches, we celebrate Epiphany, and we also celebrate the season of Christmas with December 26th, St. Stephen's Martyrdom, December 27th, St. John the Apostle and Evangelist. December 28th, the Holy Innocents and Martyrs. January 1st, the Holy Name of Jesus and or the Solemnity of Mary. And I could go on and on and on and on and on. Aren't you glad you don't have to keep track of all of that? Because I'd be pulling my hair out. I don't know about you. But there was a reason for that. For people to remember. To meditate upon. And he even mentions, because he's a, he's a, uh, a Methodist. 
They are. It's only the Baptists that think they're the only ones going to be in hell. You know that, don't you? You guys got to get out more. There's a lot of good jokes on that. But anyway. All right, I'll tell you that another time. John Wesley's covenant service, which has a venerable history of use on New Year's Eve. Anybody recognize this? Anybody been around long enough to have a watch night service on New Year's? You know what that was? You know what kind of service that was? That was primarily Wesley's way of getting his people to pray into the new year. God, you need to show up and do your work. So there is a place for seasons and right times and remembrance. History does repeat, not the actual event of Jesus dying for our sins, but the event of us coming into the family of God, experiencing it in time. So we have subplots. If we were writing a big 45-page article on the gospel today, The gospel would be its own story, all those Bible verses, but maybe some of our stories would be the subplots. Let me tell you about how God rescued me out of my darkness. This is the transformation he did. And not just initial salvation, but continual changing and renewal and answers to prayer. And it's an awesome thing when we get profound answers to prayer, isn't it? It's a wonderful thing when that happens. And we tell those things again and again. Why do you do this right, mom and dad? Yeah, you've got to risk the fact that it could become boring. Or you can spend some time dialoguing with your family and friends or whoever it might be about the great saving work of God. At the appointed time, at the right time, you're going to recognize this one. He says, at the acceptable time, I listened to you. And on the day of salvation, I helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let me just encourage you this morning that if you haven't come to rest in knowing Christ, now is the acceptable time. You don't have to go back 2,000 years and stand in front of the crucifixion of Jesus. His blood is shed and still effectual today, 2,000 years later, and you can be part of the subplot if you want to. The continuing story of the saving work of Jesus Christ, all you have to do is invite Jesus into your life. We would love to talk with you. When we dismiss, you're welcome to come and meet Jesus for yourself. If you're a child of God, maybe uh, some of your story needs to be retold. Or maybe you need some fresh chapters written. And you invite Jesus into your present experience rather than rusting out. I keep thinking in those terms because I'm getting up there. And I know that, you know, I've only got so much runway left. And I want more subplot stories before I leave this planet and go see Jesus. Am I making sense? So here's my question. What's your story? You know these um, little advertisements you get? We get, you know, advertising um, pens, you know, at the office. Jody always steals them for me, keeps them for me, because she doesn't steal them. They send them to you in the mail, you know. They want to sell you pens. 
you know, and, and you get some of those initial ones and it goes, your name here. You ever see that? Your name here. Your name here. So this one says, Harmony Baptist Church. Your name here. It's right there. If this was the gospel paper, just think, your name could be here. Your name could be here. Your name could be here. Your story. Where's your story at? I'm just going to share this one thing. It's been a, been a burden on my heart, and I'm looking forward to it coming around again. But when we raised our children, and I don't know where you're at, what, what, what condition your relationships are with, with family members, extended family, there was a season that our home was the hub for everybody in our extended family. And so they would all sit around, for example, at Thanksgiving meal, and uh, I would often use a psalm of thanks for what God has done and how good he's been and, and uh, try to use those opportunities when we could, you know, for good news, for continuing the story, for sharing the story. And um, our kids have seen a lot in the 43 years I've been in ministry. And this Christmas we'll be back together again, and I'm looking forward because there's some things I want to share with them. It doesn't have anything. It's not anything about twisting arms or putting pressure on them. I want you to know how God rescued your mom and dad, how God did this, how God reached down and met our need at remarkable moments. And how he's still in the business of rescuing me and transforming me. And I've seen profound answer to prayer in the most recent time. And that's something I feel like their ears need to hear. It doesn't matter what they do with it. It's up to them. But where's your story at? And is it time to pray that God give you some fresh chapters? Maybe so, huh? So let's stand together and we'll close in prayer. And I thank you for your kind attention as I've rambled on as long as I have. And I thought I was going to be ill and not even make it through. So thank you, Jesus. There's an answer to prayer. That's not a major story. That's kind of a subplot. The end. (laughs) Worship is a verb. That means it's something you do. Adding some new chapters is some of your worship. Do it. Let's pray. We bless your name, God, for this wonderful season that we celebrate. You're worthy to be worshipped. We acknowledge we probably don't give you enough time. I know I fall short. I know my brothers and sisters, if we're honest, we'd say, me too. But Lord, would you give us some... Precious, tender, quiet moments with you, with family, with loved ones, with friends, whatever it might be, where it's obvious you're there and we can ponder who you are. We will be changed and they will be affected according to your will. We don't want to force anything. We just want to be your worshipers for you're looking for those who worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us. We ask this in the great name of Jesus. Put your angels around your people, God. Give us a blessed season, safe, 
and honoring you, we pray in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day. And I'm here if you need to talk to me.